Hi, welcome to Guardians of the Family. This is Kimberly Lowry here with Amy Earl. And we are excited that you joined us today. Today we are talking about the second half of the article Steel to Gold by Rachel DeMille. And we'll include a link to that if you haven't read it yet. We'll include a link with that. And um, now's your opportunity to go and download it and read it if you haven't read it. But we're super excited to be discussing the second half today. Last time we talked about the confidence part of it and this today we get to talk about the vision part and the second part is really why we're doing this podcast and really why we want to discuss these issues yeah this was the the inspiration this is what we why we started to do this we read this and we knew we had to do something and i think that's part of what's interesting is we talked it we touched on this um i think in the last recording but the idea of maternal ambition and that we have that's kind of two words put together maternal instinct and feminine ambition and we have a maternal instinct we have that mothering we have that divine nature to be nurturers um, and to lead our our children and to um, so we have that maternal instinct but we also have feminine ambition we also have a desire to have impact and to make change and to um what's the word i'm looking for to to make a difference Mm -hmm. and so when you put those together i want what what i wanted to say was we want to change the world and then i thought i don't know if everybody wants to change the world but i know that i want to make a difference in the in my community and with my family and with those around me, I have that desire. And so when you put together um, that maternal instinct and feminine ambition, you have this maternal ambition. And that's what we're going to be talking about how um, and or the what and the how and the why of that. Yeah. So last time we talked a lot about um, the different types of feminism specifically historical feminism we talked about how we need to return to historical feminism and historical feminism is the idea that men and women are created equally but we both have separate and distinct roles that we're supposed to fulfill and that the women's role is to protect the basic unit of society which is the family and it's our job to set the morals for society and so that's what women understood anciently that's what they've understood historically and it's just been recently in the last few decades that we've gotten away from that and that's what we want to return to and so like amy said we're going to talk about the what how and the why that we can do that today so the first thing that um, rachel demille says that we need to do um, is the what the what is that it takes a mother to raise a village and she says that a mother is any adult woman who mentors youth who helps them grow in contributing happy adults and so being a mother doesn't mean that you have to have your own children you can be a mother without having your own children. It's what you do. It's not how many children you have that makes you a mother. Yeah. And when you look at this, like in this article right before that, she says there are at least three ways women must change the world. So she's not saying there's three ways that mothers change the world. She's addressing women. She's talking Mm -hmm. to us all that these things that we're talking about, this is, this is how we have, we make that impact. This is how we change the world. And this is an invitation for all women, 
not simply um, what we would define classically as a mother, someone who has actually had a child. Right. And how each woman does that is going to look different and be different according to our different circumstances. There's no certain way that it has to be done. And that there's as many ways to do it as there are women. Right. Yeah. And this is what, this is um, the next step I think is uh, beginning with the end in mind. This is where the vision comes in that um, we talked about it in the first podcast, the calm before the storm. Like we are starting out with a vision. We are starting out with um, where we want to be and where we want to go. And that's what this step is, I think. And this, I love that phrase. And I use that phrase begin with the end in mind a lot. I think about that and how when we are setting goals, when we are in all aspects of life, we are more effective when we begin with the end in mind. And so um, this, when you, in this section, it takes a mother to raise a village. She says, um, there is power, there is a power that women bring to the table, the power of shaping a community, of changing its very heart, a power that lasts for generations, not just between elections. And she says, and this is the, the crux of this what? The power is best expressed by the, women, by the woman who sets out to raise her great-grandchildren. And the first time I read that, I thought, sets out to raise her great-grandchildren. What is she talking about? Um, and that's what we want to talk about today is, yeah. is what that means. Right. And the, I was like you the first time I thought, how in the world do I do that? And am I really going to have influence over my great-grandchildren? But as I thought about it, I thought, well, if I think about my grandparents and the influence that they had over my parents and me and how that affects how I raise my children, it's much easier to see that in the three-generation span that certainly the way my um, grandparents raised my parents affects me and I can see so many ways that, that affects my children as well. And so exactly. if we look at it that way, it's easier yeah. to, I think, see. And we have so much impact right there. And, and we have... We have so much impact there. And that, what's, and then what Rachel is talking about here is, and that's the start. But right. there's more to it than that because it's not just our great grandchildren. It's not just my specific Jacob's grandchildren. Right. Um, but that there are 12 people, there are others who are going to influence that child. Um, and she says, every great-grandchild is directly raised by 12 people. So these are the people who directly influence my great-grandchild. These are the people who are going to raise, mentor, teach, lead, counsel, and help my great-grandchild reach adulthood. And so if I want to have impact on my great-grandchild, I need to have impact and help raise all of those people. Right. Yeah, the 12 people that are going to affect your great-grandchildren the most. Um, I read a book by John C. Maxwell, and if you're not familiar with him, he writes a lot of leadership books, but he says even the most introverted person influences 10,000 people in their life. And I'm sure that was before even social media. And so the impact that we can have now is so far-reaching. And so 
that that was one of the problems with anti-feminism that we were just focusing on our own family which we do need to focus on our own family but that the vision is not broad enough we need to think about how are we going to raise the teachers and the friends and the government of our great-grandchildren as well and so well, and i think that that's where that the idea of feminine ambition comes in because when you turn inward and you have the focus solely on you and your family um that's where we start to feel a little bit of is there something else i should be doing and um i'm going to list these 12 these 12 people that that rachel um talks about and she says she's got father mother grandfather grandmother grandpa granny uncle aunt rabbi or church leader their their teacher their friend and the mayor or their government so she's talking about not just not just aunts and uncles not just family members she's going out into their friends their church leaders their government and when you look at that and you think how do I have impact now? This is such a beautiful description of how we begin with the end in mind. Yeah. If it's my goal to have impact on my great-grandchild, and these are the 12 people that are going to help raise that child, how, what do I need to do? How do I help my government? How do I help my church leaders? How do I help their friends and their teachers? And what can I do with that purpose in mind? Right. I like here where she says, this is on page five, um, no constitution law or policy has such power, but every woman has it, is born with it, can reach deep down inside and bring it to the surface and can spend her whole, and can spend her life doing it. And I thought, wow, if every woman in the, understood in the whole world what their role was and what kind of power they had, imagine the, the change you could bring about or imagine the influence you would have if every woman understood that. And think about, and one thing that I, that kind of just like skipped across my mind just now when we were talking about this is the idea of times and seasons. And you'll hear us say this again and again and again as we converse about this is that there are times and seasons that you do different things. And yeah. this, if you are listening to this and you are a young mom and you have babies and you're not sleeping and you're just trying to keep your toddler alive and all of those things these kind of things can seem overwhelming but this is actually where this is the time to prepare so that when right. the time comes and you are called that you will you will be ready and so be thinking right now not about being overwhelmed and not about right. adding um, although the next line after what Kim just said was, if this seems overwhelming, welcome to womanhood. <laughs> and the idea that there's so much that we do that it can be overwhelming. But don't let this idea of, oh, and now I have to go do all this. Um, but then she goes on to say that, thank goodness, and this is this comes down, and I love this, this middle portion. Well, I love this whole article, but this next portion where she says, Thank goodness for husbands, fathers, brothers, and friends who provide love and support and the necessities of life so we have a real chance of success in this incredibly daunting task. And how beautiful is that, that she describes the roles of women and men so 
clearly and concisely without having to say women do this and men do that but she like as we are changing the world and using that feminine um, ambition with our maternal instinct then our husbands are there supporting and providing the necessities of life yeah and i think as women we have more influence because we can bring others along with what we're doing with our family so as we do these things that our children need and as we um as we're working and building our family we can bring others along with us whereas our husbands they're there they're providing for our family they're doing their part but but their role is more focused on our fam on our families individually you know you don't have your take your neighbor's kid to work with you day whereas <laughs> moms we have so many children that are in and out of our homes all the time and and so we have a unique way um, to be able to have that influence yeah exactly and so um, and what you said right there she she having the balance that is such a beautiful um, description of a family and complementing each other and fulfilling your roles so that the other can um, fulfill theirs. And so then there's the question of, um, if, if, we, if you skip down just a little bit in the article, Rachel writes, in our modern world, the void left by women who don't magnify this power is being filled by government. And then she gets bold and says, shame on us for that. Raising these 12 people requires us to take action beyond the walls of our own homes. And think about how that applies to us today, how we're abdicating that responsibility. Of, so she's talking about the 12 people. So she's not talking about your own children. She's not saying we're abdicating raising our children, although that could be happening, but she's talking about this further influence that we have, that as we retreat inward, that we're missing vital um, time and a vital opportunity that we can have impact on other people's lives. Yeah. And through social media, I mean, think about all the things that that we're using to, to fill. So she says, um, this power is being filled by government. And okay. I think we can even add, there's so much more than just government that that's being filled by. Right. I was just thinking, I think that social media has taken a big, huge part of that. And also the people out there that claim to be the experts and know more than you do about your children. It's, you see that all over. Um, that the experts know what's best for your family. And so that's one way that we abdicate our power is by either um, letting the experts take over or by, I guess, kind of neglecting our children and letting them. Right. Well, when we turn, when we turn inwards, okay. So going back and, and we, we didn't really, I, I was going to talk about this a little bit. This was in the, back in the, um, when you say you are raising these 12, these 12 people, right? And what does that mean? So how do you do that? And 
that the way that that's happening, I'm, I'm just going to throw out some suggestions, but you're doing that through book clubs and youth groups and adult colloquiums and church service. Yes. Church service for sure. And community service and co-ops. And you're looking out. This is the idea that, um, Rachel, when she describes what stateswomanship is, so this article is still to gold feminism versus stateswomanship. The, a stateswoman is somebody who looks out into her community and sees a need and fulfills that need. It says, this is something that needs to be done and I'm going to do that. And um, that's instead of, well, there's a lack in my community. I don't have anybody to do this. My kid doesn't have anything that's going on. I can't do that um, because nobody else is doing that. It's the idea that this needs to be done. So I guess I will do it. Right. And that's a very historical feminism way of thinking. Yeah. And I think it usually comes from saying, noticing that you have a need for your own particular family saying my children need this or I need this and it's not available, then you create what you wish there was. Um, I think that that's how it usually comes about. I know that's how it's come about for me. Yeah. We've had a lot of experience with this. When Kim and I were studying um, Thomas Jefferson education um, in 2000, long time ago, whatever that was, 2007. um, And we had done all of this study and all of this research and we came back to our little community of North Pole, Alaska and went, we need people, our friends or our children need friends to be Mm -hmm. part of book clubs with. And we need other women to discuss great ideas with, and we need to create a community or not. We need to create, but we needed a community. Right. And there, there was nobody there to do that for us. Right. And so this, podcast came about as well because we felt like there was nobody saying the things that we needed to hear so then we decided we better be saying those things if nobody else was exactly and so that leads us to that um where rachel says there's there's nobody else that can do this there's no president no pope no media mogul no hollywood executive they are not powerful enough no matter how successful such men and women may be in their sphere, they don't have the power to raise these 12 people effectively. We have the power. We have the power as stateswomen to look around and say, what is lacking? What do we need? And how do, I, how do we make it happen? And then go forward and do. Yeah. Our bishop taught a youth group um, lesson on Sunday, and he passed everybody out a quiz. And the first quiz was, Uh, questions like who won the last three Nobel Peace Prizes and who won the last three World Series and who won the last three gold medals in swimming and questions like that. And I think I put one answer down because I vaguely remembered Barack Obama getting a Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) Um, So there weren't very many um, answers filled in. But then he gave us another quiz with questions like um, name one person who has influenced you name three people who have taught you something. Um, So questions like that about relationships and about people. And those were easy to fill in. And I had plenty of answers for those. And so 
that's where we need to focus our attention on those kind of relationships and those um, things that build people up and teach. Those are the things that we're going to remember. And that's where our power lies as, as awesome as it would be to win the world series or get a Nobel peace prize. I mean, those are awesome for a few minutes, but that, but, but that's why the Pope and that's why these um, sports stars and that's why movie stars, they don't have the influence that somebody does who's intimately connected with you and who has um, building those relationships, I think. Yes, exactly. And so that is the what, right? That's what we need to do. We need to raise those people. We need to be stateswomen and we need to be bold and we need to um, fill the needs in our community. And so then we come to this next question as well. How do we do that? Um, And this is number two. We talked a little bit about it um, by reaching out and seeing the needs in our community. But with that, we also have to have the education that goes with that. And because we know that knowledge is power and the more knowledge that we have, the more powerful we're going to be and the more influence we're going to have. I think maybe that's a better word for, to use it. The influence that we're going to have. Right. And if no matter how much we desire to have influence, if we aren't prepared, if we don't have the preparation and specifically if we don't have the education that we need to go out and fulfill what needs to be done, then we can't be effective we can't do that. And so that's the piece is how do you do this? The, your most valuable asset is your education. So we're going to start. And this is, this is that piece that I believe today gets so overlooked. Yeah. Because the hard work of getting an education, right. we're, not, we're not talking about like the education in the traditional sense. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be a degree or certificate. Right. We're talking about um, gathering the information, gathering the knowledge, gathering an education that you need. Um, And right here, Rachel says, education includes our whole heart and our whole mind, everything we have and all that we are. And so we're talking about the whole person here. We're talking about your spiritual side as well as um, your whole mind. And so that's where I think the scriptures come in spiritually and the classics come in. Um, We're talking about education for life. We're talking about how does somebody live a happy, successful life? And what are the things that lead to happiness and peace in your life and um, influence in your community? And so we need to understand the things that bring peace and happiness into your family life, things that bring peace and happiness into your community, into our nations. And those things can be learned through studying the classics. So when we're talking about education being our most valuable asset, we can see, so we look at doctors and lawyers and how they get their education and they, so much of their study when they are at their um, at the top of their education when they're getting their professional education is done through case studies. And what case studies are is studying what other people have done in similar situations. So they're studying 
court cases and what happened in this court case and what was the outcome. And doctors are studying what happens when a patient presents like this and they're learning, okay, when these things happen, this is how I respond. And this is the appropriate um, way to act. And we can use that as an example. That is the whole idea of why we read classic literature. This is why we read the good books. This is why we spend time coming face to face with greatness through literature. Because when we read the books, when we read A Hiding Place, when we see how Betsy responds, and when she says to Corey, we need to thank God for the fleas. And I don't know why I'm getting emotional about that, but because I remember getting emotional the first time I read it. And when you think about, here's this woman in this circumstance having this reaction, then you are storing that information for the next time you are presented. And you can say, this is what she did. This is how Jane Eyre reacted the first time I read Jane Eyre and my jaw dropped at her moral fortitude and her character. And I thought, she is choosing the right. And mm -hmm. when you read Anne of Green Gables, when you read these stories and you, you apply them, and this can be, and especially as a mother, and I want to make this plug, if I can, as a mother, is that this isn't about reading only adult classics, only the hard, only the deep, the prince and, right. you know, these kind of things. Um, we're talking about reading when you're starting, read all the children's right. classics. Yeah. Read Charlotte's web. Yeah. And it's not about, I'm glad you're bringing this up because it's not about checking the box off of, okay, I've read this classic and this classic and this classic. And I don't think I knew really when I started reading what I was looking for. But as we've read and as we've studied, I've seen that it is about learning how, like I was talking about earlier, how to live your life and how when those situations come, how do I react? How it's about character and it's about courage and it's about um, about the, I don't know how to say it, but it's that's what you're studying. That's what you're learning through reading the classics. It's about human behavior and what brings happiness and what, what are the consequences of your choices. And, and when you read um, children's classics as well, it's, I think more black and white, it's easier to see. Sometimes. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you, you, when you read those and especially as you read this. So first of all, you read them on your own. I love nothing better than to read a good children's classic because they're super quick and they're uplifting. And like you said, they're the moral of the story is there and it's, it's pretty black and white. And then you read them as a family and yeah. you have this thing that you can always return to. And so, right. um, uh, farmer boy, farmer boy was one of Jake's favorite books as a kid. And we read it to the, to the boys. Um, I haven't read it to Betsy yet. That's going to be one that we need to because, and I, there have been so many conversations that we've had with our children, our sons about the principles we found in that book and yeah. about, okay, you have some money. Are you going to spend it on the lemonade or on the pig? And because we have this common idea, we understand what happened. 
they know exactly what we're talking about. When right. we've read um, Little Britches and we had Sam, Sam had lots of lessons taught to him through Little Britches and we would talk about character houses mm -hmm. and are we building our character house or are we tearing boards off our character house? Yeah. And he understood the references. Cultural yeah. literacy, that's what I was looking for. Yes. We had that. that you have a family cultural literacy literacy yeah exactly yeah and this <clears throat> that's why it helps so much to be able when you write your questions in the beginning of a book because um, if you have questions in your life and you write them in the beginning of the book you're thinking about that as you're reading those books and you are gonna find the answers whether that book is concerning that problem specifically or not because it's there in your mind and that's what the classics teach you they teach you how to interact and how um, they teach you the answers to those um, basic questions, yeah, human they nature teach, questions. Yeah, they teach truth. They're speaking truth to us, and when our right. mind is open and our mind is asking, "I need a solution," we're yeah. searching through those pages for the truth and how we can apply that to our lives. And yeah. and I've I have had this happen to me where you're reading, and the answer comes. And it has right. nothing to do with the right. words on the page, but right. it comes to your heart because as you're opening yourself up to those truths, yeah. you're, you're able to find it can speak to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and that powerful. comes in. Yeah. So powerfully in the scriptures, but it can come in the classics as well. Yes. And I want to add, so absolutely it comes in the, in the scriptures and, and sometimes we need to hear it from another source too. Right. Because we can understand it. Yeah. It, it hits yeah. closer to home when you're um, reading about Anne Shirley and her yes. escapades. And you, you know? have a daughter that's like Anne Shirley or you are an Anne Shirley, then you can relate a little bit more. Exactly. <laughs> and that can just, so these are, these are tools. That's the education that you need. So she's saying, if we're raising those 12 people, how do we do it? We do it with our education. What kind of education are we talking about here? And there's your leadership education. There's, there's um, sharing with people, talking with people, um, caring about people. Um, we're going to do a, this makes me think about our missions and how do we do it? And we do it through our mission. And we're going to talk about that in another podcast. We're going to go through our, these missions and how you can know what, what is it that you're, what your mission is and how you fulfill your mission. Um, but it makes me think about that. And education, the purpose yeah. of our education is to fulfill that mission. Right. And part of that mission or the main part of our mission should be our families yes. and raising these 12 people. Yep. And however you, your mission and how you do that is different for every person, but every person has the same mission. And that takes us over to the why. And Rachel says, um, let's see where it is. This is on page six. Raising children and mentoring the next generation is the most important thing we can do to change the world. It is the primary role of all women and all men married or single. It is who we are. It is why we were born. We must train up the leaders of the future with confidence, power, and grace. We must deliver. We must achieve results. We are the state's women of the 21st century. And I love that. And it, that is why we were born. That is what our purpose is here. And that's the same purpose for the men, but how we do it is different. It looks different and that's okay. 
because we have different roles. And modern feminism has convinced us that this is cliche and that even patronizing that, um, oh, that's nice, dear. And society has bought into that, that if you say, I, how many times when you're talking, I'm just a homemaker. Yeah, I'm just a mother. And I can't tell you how many times um, people have said to me when I'm having a child, okay, I have seven children. And so for the last like four children, when I've been pregnant, people say, you're not going to have any more, are you? Like in that derogative, you know, derogative tone. And I was even at the grocery store one day and somebody asked me, if all the children that I had with me were mine. And I said, yes. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. And I thought, how rude, number one. (laughs) But how sad that he thinks that being a mom is so demeaning and of no value and that I could have more influence, you know, if I was a doctor or a lawyer. And I'm sure if I had said, no, these aren't my children. They're from an orphanage in China. Then I w- that would have been okay. You know, like if I left my family, went halfway around the world and was serving someone else, that's looked on as a great thing. And it is a great thing. But sure. serving your own family and serving your own children is looked down upon. And I Absolutely. think that's sad. So we have to talk about not getting overwhelmed. Oh, yes. Because Because it it can seem daunting. It can. When we talk about these things, the idea that, okay, so I'm raising my children, I'm getting my education. You've just told me I already have seven children, I have to raise 12 other children. Like (laughs) that idea. Going back. Children that are going to raise my great, all the 12 children that are going to raise my great grandchildren. So that's like hundreds of children. Right. (laughs) And not to stress you out, but (laughs) that goes back to that times and seasons. And if you had told Kim and I 10 years ago, you are going to A, B, C, and D, you're going to do these book clubs and you're going to do this, um, book club. Did I say book club and youth group and young statesmen and these church callings, and you're going to do these things in the community and you're going to have this many children and, and given us all that and put it on our plate, I think we would have been overwhelmed. And I think I said, maybe (laughs) we will choose a different path. (laughs) Um, But that's not how it's given it to us. That's not how the Lord gives it to us. He, He helps us prepare. He gives us what we need. That's the calm before the storm. If we ask him what we need to prepare, he will teach us. Yes. And we can seek that education that we need. And so that when we are called upon to do this, we will be ready. And um, she says, Rachel says, if we fail, the world will fail. If we shrink, hesitate, or doubt, precious time will be lost. But then she goes on to say, you can do it. Right. Every woman who reads this has the power to do it. Yeah. And there's going to be times in our life where we're going to get off track. We're going to be focused on other things, but we can keep coming back to it. And if we have that vision of raising these 12 people, that's what's going to keep us going. That's what's going to keep motivating us to come back again and again and again. And that's what I think we need to focus on. And that that we, and we have, 
we have been given what we need. We have this divine nature. We have our maternal instinct and we have our feminine ambition and we have what we need. And as we, as we move forward, um, we will be shown the way. Yeah. And on page seven, Rachel says, um, sorry, let's see. Okay. She's talking about Abigail Adams and, um, the things that Abigail Adams did and that it's, it's easy to look at her and see the things that her husband did and the things that her son did, but that she also took action. She moved the cause of liberty. She did those things herself. Her influence was felt, but she also did those things. She took action. She had courage. She had vision. She did those things as well. And, it, and she said, Rachel says, because of her actions and decisions, her great-grandchildren stood free still. But today, their great-granddaughters, eight generations later, stand doubtful. They wonder at their roles. They debate and decide and reconsider. They speak of how hard it is. They vacillate. But then she says, our daughters must not do the same, nor our granddaughters. And that comes when we have the vision and we teach our daughters and we teach our granddaughters and they teach our great-grandchildren. And then she says, and I really like this, the women of today must unconditionally and without apology adopt the full role of womanhood, the glory of maternal ambition, and set out to raise 12 people right. That's what we have to do. And this is, this is what I thought I was reading when I was reading that last quote, because I actually love this when she says, if we succeed, America will succeed and the world will succeed. But if we fail... And that just gives me chills. She says, but if we fail, dot, 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 we will not fail. Of women today, steel is needed, unbending, beautiful. And as Eve, Sarah, and Abigail before us, today's women must turn steel into gold. Um, as we're closing out our podcast, we also wanted to close with the poem that Rachel shared at the end of her article. And um, I'm going to read that. It says, they cut desire into short lengths. They gathered it into bruised palms and fed it to the hungry fires of courage and handed it to their children and their children's children. Long after, when the flames had died, molten gold gleamed in the ashes. And Rachel also says that this poem can be said of every woman reading. And we've read this article several times and I didn't really have a good grasp on what this poem meant. But um, as Amy and I discussed it, she had a lot of insight that I didn't have and that's why it's so important to discuss things with other people and so she's going to share um, some of her thoughts about the poem which I really appreciated I love I love this poem and I too it's kind of um, the wording is a kind of kind of different especially this first line when she says or when the author says they cut desire into short lengths they gathered it into bruised palms and fed it to the hungry fires of courage and handed it to their children and their children's children. And so that wasn't just the first line. That was more than the first line, but <laughs> this, they cut desire into short lengths. So we're talking, she's talking about the pioneers and we are all pioneers. We're all, we are all venturing out and doing something new for our first time. And as we are in this, we as women, this is 
our feminine ambition. This is our desire. When she says they cut desire into short lengths, we have so much desire. We have so much that we want to do. We have so many things. And when we take, and actually, I have no idea. I'm going to preface this. I have no idea that this is what the author meant, but this is what <laughs> this means to me. And this is how I've internalized this, um, is there's so much that I want to do. There is so much impact I want to have. There is so, I want to change the world. I want, I have this desire and I have to cut it into short lengths. I have to take small pieces. I have to take things that I can do right now. And when she gathered it into bruised palms, what does that mean? It means that we, we are trying so hard. We're weary. We're tired. We're up in the night. We're worried about our teenagers. We're worried about our callings. We're worried about all of the people we have stewardship over. We're worried, are we doing enough? This, this bruised palms, that's us. That's, are we, um, we never think that we're enough. We never think that we can do it all. But we take what we can. We break it into short lengths. We take it however unworthy we feel that we can. And we have courage. We fed and fed it to the hungry fires of courage. We take it. We are bold. We have courage. And we hand it to our children. And we show them how to do it because we are their leaders. We are who they want. Oh, is this where we talked about mothers yeah. and the power <laughs> of mothers? Yes, this is yeah. so... Um, this is where I read an article recently and it was about get your picture taken to your family pictures, even if you're fat. And it was kind of a bold title, but the idea that, and I have been a photographer for eight years and how many times I've talked to mothers who have said, I can't do my family pictures because I am too fat. I need to lose 25 pounds. So I'm going to go on a diet and then I'll call you. And when I'm ready to be in pictures, and in this article, um, it talked about how we need to be in the picture. Our children do not care. Our families do not care how much we weigh. They don't care um, how fat we think we are. They love us. They see us every day, and they just they want us in the picture. And mm -hmm. this comes to the idea that our children – the people who love us, they don't care how messy our house is. They don't care that my hair is in a bun for the third day in a row or that I haven't put makeup on all week or that I'm running on fumes. They want me there. And that is the value of taking our desire, putting it into short lengths, gathering it with our bruised palms, taking the courage to move forward and giving that to our children. And that as long after when the flames have died out, molten gold gleamed in the ashes. How powerful is that? Yeah, I love that. And I think that it's taking those little things and in the end, they become the most valuable. And we see what we've created is more valuable than anything. And, and it's hard to see that when you're in the thick of it. Right. It's hard to see it when you're just changing diapers and you're up till 3 a.m. feeding or with a sick child. And it's hard to see that you're making a difference. 
But if you look back on the people that have come before you, the people who've made a difference in your life, your grandparents and your parents, and what a legacy they've left for you, it's, I think, easier to see looking back that those little things meant the most to you. And those are the things that are going to mean the most to your children. Yes. And I think that sums it up. That sums up that maternal instinct and that feminine ambition that gets us back. If we can do that, if we can, if we can look out and say, this is who I need to be. This is who I need to be today. Have a vision for what we need to do and the, and the path we need to take and start applying that one day at a time. That is when we change the world. That is when we have our true impact and influence. Yeah. So yeah. powerful. So steal to gold. I hope that this is an article that you guys print, make notes in and refer to again and again, read oh, this Lord. every year. Yeah. I can't count how many times we've read it. And every time it's so it's like reading it over new again, because there's so many things that I find in it. Yeah. They're so applicable. And it sparks some, something great every time. Yeah. So powerful. So thanks for listening today. We'd love to hear your comments. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you to all of you who've left us reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. And if you have any questions for us, uh, feel free to let us know what they are. We'd love sometime in the future to do a question answer podcast. So if That'd you have questions, um, send those in to us and let us know what classics you're reading. We would love to hear that too. And going back, which podcast did we talk about them? Um, Jane Eyre because somebody got your hiding place but nobody's got my yes. Jane Eyre oh yeah was that I don't remember if that was the last one or the second one yeah so um we've already this is our fourth it's like <laughs> I know we've been doing it so long so Jane Eyre if you're wanting to read Jane Eyre I have a copy and I want to share it with you and then you can pass it Jane on to somebody Eyre's else awesome. and a little yeah. known fact I don't know if you told did you say last time that Betsy's named after Jane Eyre no I didn't because her name is Rebecca Jane yeah. Yep. So I was reading that when we were expecting her. So yep. little known fact, but it's an awesome book. It is. So. All, right. All right. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.